Hey, this is Eric, and you're listening to NeuroDetergent. And this is Sarah, licensed clinical social worker. And this is Katie, licensed professional counselor. Our goal is to reach like-minded folks in an effort to connect, encourage, and support each other in our struggles navigating life with neurodivergence. What are we forgetting? Um, um oh, fun. Fun. And laughs. And laughs. Along the way, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> A stubborn stain on your atypical brain. You need neurodetergents. We're gonna spill the tea about ADHD and wipe it clean with neurodetergents. You need neurodetergents. All right, you are listening to Neurodetergent. This, this is, is Katie. This is Eric. <laughs> Sarah. And this is episode 19. I thought we did 19 last time. Oh, no. Wait. No, this is episode 19. It is? Yes. Big one nine? Okay, the big one. <laughs> <laughs> it was killing me. Sarah stole your thunder. Me. How dare you, nine. Sarah? This old man, he played 19. <laughs> he played knickknack on My... on tambourine. There you go. Maybe. I don't know. Okay. Um, what even is knickknack? <laughs> I mean, a knickknack is like a little. It's, not, it's a knickknack paddywhack. Knickknack paddywhack? Wait. Give a dog a bone. Okay. All right. Speaking of dogs, <laughs> I met the most adorable service animal Aww. named Songo the other day. Songo. I'm like Aww. a miniature husky. Very, Aww. very affectionate. A miniature husky. Yeah. Cute. It's I they told me the, the like a it's a cross breed between a husky and something else, and I didn't know oh. I can't remember what it was, but uh, my daughter loves huskies. Just Mummies. a beautiful dog. And she got along really well with Ollie. Aw, Ollie gets along well with with everyone. (laughs) No, he doesn't. Oh. (laughs) Especially huskies. He hates huskies. Oh, Um, okay. Gosh. He sees a husky and he goes nuts. Uh (laughs) Uh, But anyway, today, so last week we asked our listeners. We did. What is, what silly things or things did you do as a child that you recognize now as an adult mm-hmm. would be a neurodivergent trait. And oh my God. Oh my God. We got a ridiculous amount of responses to that uh, question. We, I think that's probably one of our highest posts now of all time. Whoa. Next to the and squirrel. So one. much fun to read. Yeah. So much fun to read. But like, I mean, we're talking like. Almost 1,500 comments. Yeah. So that was a lot. It's a doozy. Uh, but what, that's what we're going to talk about today is, uh, you know, we're just going to kind of hop in the time machine and we're going to journey on back to when we were Circa just young, innocent children. 80s for me. Yeah, 80s. What year were you born, Katie? 83. 83. And you were probably 1980, right, Sarah? Yep. Yeah. And I was 81. We just need someone to join that was born in 82. And then we'll we'll <laughs> we'll cross all the numbers. But your birthday's coming up. It is. The big four O. Uh, How are you feeling about that? I'm really excited. Um well, I mean I don't know if I'm really excited. I'm not like dreading Bir- it. <laughs> birthdays are tricky, I feel like for me. I don't know why, but I feel like I have like some kind of birthday curse where like every year on my birthday something happens that's how i am with christmas and that's why i don't celebrate christmas it's not a religious thing it's Mm. not you know a a bah humbug thing 
every Christmas ends with me being depressed if I'm going to do Christmassy things. Yeah. So I just don't do it. I agree. I Christmas bums me out, but I have kids, so I got. We hung out on Christmas, actually. Yeah, we did. We went to a party. That was a good time. Yeah. You know, so maybe that curse has been lifted. Who knows? Um, But I uh, enjoyed it quite a bit. Um, But anyway, um, so a couple of things that we want to talk about, and maybe we kind of want to go into some questions um, as far as neurodivergence in children. Mm -hmm. Um, So the first question that I have for you is how can parents and or caregivers better understand and support neurodivergent children? Okay. I think the first thing is to educate yourself. Educate yourself, look within yourself, find points of um, that you share with them, like points of empathy that you can understand, mm-hmm. and try to, in ways that you can, um, adapt with them. Yeah. I think that, like, if... Um if possible too, like if you are deciding with your partner to have children, whether you're adopting or, um, you know, whatever, I think that you should have conversations about like how you plan to, uh, raise your kids and, and be considering like what that would look like and getting, um, opinions, working with like resources that are available in your community, like, um, to, you know, foster relationships between or online support groups with other parents. Yeah. Um, a lot of times it's just, honestly, it's just like listening, um, to learn. So like if your kids are telling you something instead of, um, like listening to respond and like trying to like, like, you know, listen to, um, I'm sorry. Like the sound is really weird on here. It's like noise canceling. I've got to turn that off. (laughs) <clears throat> sorry it's sensory issues <laughs> yeah so i was like i we'll feel like i'm there. in a bubble here <laughs> we'll get to that. i felt like i was wearing a helmet for a second it got me really <laughs> in my head but um i think it's important to um yeah like if you're if you have a child who is neurodivergent and they are overstimulated to like um learn the patterns of that and learn like what are the things that that cause that and like hear them in those moments instead of trying to like get them to calm down or whatever. Right. Just like, yeah, say you have a child that you know has a lot of energy and like if they, <clears throat> if you give them a chance to be active during the day, they're going to have an easier time falling asleep. Um, the same, like figure out the things that you know about your child and ways that can, you can teach them to make their lives easier. A lot of times I think uh, in working with families, uh, like over the years, it's like a lot of families kind of implement rules right that they have in their home and um they're like these are the rules and this is how we follow them and it's like instead of like adapting to the development of your family they just like try to adapt your family to the implementation of the rules and i i see it over and over again and so if like if people have an idea when they have a family that, okay, we're going to eat this meal at this table at this time. And like, this is what we're going to eat. And you're going to eat, um, and you're going to eat all your food. It's like, if you have a neurodivergent child and those are the rules of the home, like every single night, probably at dinner time, you're going to have a problem. And so like really examining like, you know, ways that, that benefit everybody. I don't know if I'm going off on sometimes, it. No, I, okay. I hear you. Sometimes I wonder if my parents were neurodivergent and never uh, diagnosed. Uh, I remember my grandmother telling me a story about my dad would, as a child, would always eat one food at a time. Mm-hmm. So, like, if he had 
steak, mashed potatoes, and peas. He wouldn't move on to one thing until he'd finished the other. Yeah. And, like, he would kind of... Uh, yeah. Get agitated mm-hmm. <laughs> if they touched each other. Mm-hmm. Whereas I, me, like I would eat anything you put in front of me. <laughs> yeah, I think like a good, I think a good representation of that for anybody who's seen the show Atypical, and I know that show gets a lot of flack, but I'm going to mention it anyway. Um, there is a scene in that where uh, the mom, I can't remember her name, is it Kira Sedgwick? I can't remember. I can't remember either. Anyway, no, it's not. I. Anyways, it doesn't matter, but I do know who it is. I just can't think of her name. And she is ta- like she has a very strained relationship with her own mom. And they meet, and she goes into her house, and they're talking. And the her mom is telling her stories and reflecting on her childhood. And it is very um, – I don't know if it's intentionally written into the script or what, but it's like she is describing, you know, um, characteristics that are like, what you would see in in a child with autism. And so mm. it's like this moment of like, oh my gosh, is anybody going to tell her? The yeah. whole show I'm going, is anybody ever going to tell her? Yeah. <laughs> like, Did they ever make that or write that into the show? Oh, is I, that show still going on? No, I don't know. I don't I know either. I, it was, we watched it so long ago and I don't remember what happens at the end. Yeah. I wonder how many adults end up getting diagnosed after their children. I think diagnosed. quite a few. Yeah. I think quite where a they few. might think that you know, I mean, I, I mean, we all know a friend of mine from from my hometown that's in the process of getting their evaluation after their children. A couple mm-hmm. of their children have been evaluated that way. I kind of wish, you know, as as a child of the '80s and and having that diagnosis in the '80s, I really wish that there were. Uh, those resources that are available now, mm-hmm. uh, back then, I feel like I probably could have coped with a lot of those things a lot better yeah. uh, as a child. And I think my parents might have had a better understanding. I remember talking to them uh, shortly after you and I met and mm-hmm. we started talking about doing this podcast and we started kind of digging deeper into, you know, what it really means to have ADHD and, and you know, that journey of self-discovery that I've been on where... You know, a lot of the things that my parents would complain about, you know, Mm -hmm. when I was a child, turns out those were most likely (laughs) symptoms of my condition, you know. For Um, real, yeah. But one of the things that my parents would complain about a lot was you always start something, but you never finish it, Mm -hmm. you know. And that that could be uh, soccer, Cub Scouts. Uh, karate, mm-hmm. uh, band, you know, football, like all these different things. But it's like, I, I still do that. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's a bad thing. I just want to try and do As everything. Yes, and, same. you know, podcasts, music. Uh, I've dabbled in like local uh, film stuff mm-hmm. and, you know, just all these different things that I want to try, you know, baking yeah. or picking up a new hobby or, or anything like that. It's like, that. who cares if you're not baking fucking sourdough in 50 years? Like, you're doing it fucking now. Right. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, you know, you never finish anything. Well, okay, cool. <laughs> it's better than never starting anything. Yeah. So a lot of the comments that we had talked about sensory sensitivities. Mm-hmm. Um, how can those impact a child's daily life and what strategies can be helpful? For managing those, I th- oh, sorry, I think that like one of the like the okay, if you could imagine, um, you know those like green scrubby things that you use to to wash dishes with, mm-hmm. yeah. Okay, if you made like a tank top out of that, mm-hmm. and then you're like in and you took ten people and they 
some of them were neurotypical, some of them were neurodivergent. You're like, wear this for the day. Mm-hmm. Nobody is going to have a good time. Yeah. You're right? right. Um, and so, like, I think that uh, a lot of times what people misunderstand is, like, if something, like, for example, a tag, which is the most, like, general mm-hmm. <sighs> Right, like um, a tag on the back of your shirt. It's like for um, for some people that might feel like you're wearing a fucking shirt made of the uh, it, like scratchy side of a sponge. Yeah, and absolutely. And like it, it doesn't. It's not like you can't go through your day wearing that and feeling that. You couldn't go through your day wearing a tank top made of that and like focus on what's being said in a classroom. Right? You, right. The whole time you're going to be like, fuck the shit. Like, you would not be able to think of anything else except for that. My question <laughs> is, why did they wait so damn long to start just screen printing that on the inside of the back of the shirts? Because you don't really see those tags on the neck hardly anymore, at least on any shirts that I I don't buy. know. I cut the necks out of all my shirts. Um, I remember <laughs> being yeah. a kid and ripping the tags out of my shirts or trying to cut them off, and that just seemed to make the problem even worse. I think because probably, like... Um, the people who are making money off of the shirts, like, don't consider that if they're not somebody who deals with that. Probably. But I <laughs> don't see so how until, anyone could find until, those comfortable. Oh, I think most people, or maybe a lot of people, just don't even notice it. That's wild. <laughs> it's like, it's like they, it might as well be a razor blade on your neck, <laughs> in my opinion. <laughs> yeah, and like... Like, I remember back in the day, my just being, like, just forced into wearing that. It's like, and my parents do that. They're like, you have to wear that. And it's like, fuck my life. Right. It's like, it hurts. It's like, no. Well, I'm thinking, it makes me think of food. Like, there can be certain texture and, like, sensory issues with food that are, like, insurmountable. Like, like makes you have... Yeah, for me, peace. Like, makes me... I physically can't. Mm -hmm. And I can't explain it, and it's ridiculous, but I just can't. That's how I feel about tuna casserole. If somebody tried to make me tuna casserole, I would not even be able to smell it. Yeah. Wow. There's certain smells. There's mm-hmm. times when I'm sensitive to smells. The smell can be so overwhelming. It will just, it's overwhelming. It's, it's all that yeah. is happening. Yeah. Do you think that can also be said for certain words? You know, like the, the joke is that a lot of people don't like the word moist. Mm-hmm. Is there any words that you hate? Just the not sound like that. Of- not no, that extreme. Yeah. I mean, those words, it's kind of like, eh, but like nothing like eating peas. It's yeah, <laughs> no, no, no. That feels visceral. Like, mm-hmm. uh, like texture like, has never been a thing for me with huh, food. I, yeah. Like I said, I'll eat whatever. Uh, I like peas. I love you know. One thing that I used to eat a lot when I was younger because my parents or my mother served them to me was uh, lima beans, and I really liked those a lot too. <laughs> I like how you say lima beans. Lima beans for me, um, it's definitely sound. Like uh, yeah. for me, it's sound and like um like being in a closed in space mm-hmm. with a lot of sound like i like i if there's so many sounds and they're all competing mm-hmm. it i feel like a you know in the cartoons where like the sonar's going off but like they're like tricking it and like everything's going crazy mm-hmm. that's how i feel i'm like yeah. i don't know which way to look yeah <laughs> like, do you feel that way at like concerts and things like yeah, that too yeah i mean like like most of the time it's like just like i can kind of I can like regulate it, but mm-hmm. there are times if I have to go into like Walmart, for example, and sometimes the music's like playing really loud in there. And then if a baby's screaming or, or and, and they're pushing something that's like making a sound, it's like, ah, 
like I freeze. Like any kind of noise canceling things is are nice yeah. now, and also it's nice now because most of the time I can always leave. But like, yeah. like thinking about myself in like public schools Bro. where there's like hundreds and yeah. hundreds of kids, and there's no escape, and it's mm-hmm. just constant. I had to like decompress yeah. after yeah. school because it was too much. <laughs> just even the cafeteria, right? It was oh, like yeah. too much. Yeah. I never really experienced a lot of those things. Uh, you know, texture with food isn't mm-hmm. really that big of a deal for me. But there was one uh, instance that I remember as a kid where I did kind of freak out in a, in a public space. And that was my mother. We drove from Harrison, Arkansas mother. up here to the, <laughs> the Battlefield Mall mm-hmm. to buy to go back to school shopping. And it was just insanely busy Mm. and i remember there were like a few people that had like brushed up against me as we're walking down the big aisles and i just kind of like like my heart rate increased and i just looked at my i was like i have to get out of here like we have to leave like right now Mm -hmm. and she was really cool about it she wasn't like no we have to do your back to school shopping every time (laughs) you say mother i think of my mother (laughs) whenever buster goes mother boy oh my god I love that show. So uh, <laughs> some other comments talked about some stimming behaviors. I know we've mm-hmm. we've mentioned stimming before, but can we kind of reiterate what that is and why it's important? Sure. Stimming is like repetitive movements or sounds or things like that that are calming. And, um, Self-stimulating. Self-stimulating is what, it, is what stimming yeah. is short for. And so like, for example... Um, a more well-known thing would be like maybe someone waving their hands or clapping when they're excited. Mm-hmm. Um, what I was thinking of in my childhood is that um, I was in dance. And so like I would practice my tap dances in my shoes, telling myself, I'm just practicing my dances. And like, but no one knows. And like had no <laughs> idea. I was just stimming all day long. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Oh, that's awesome. Um I don't know. I, it's really hard for me to, like, uh, reflect on, like, my childhood and, like, think about those, like, those detailed behaviors of, like, st- like stimming. I'm not sure. I'm sure I did a lot of stuff. I, I had a lot of, like, behaviors that I did that were, um, like, I would go into the bathroom and, like, sit in the mirror and make like weird the weirdest faces I could or like <laughs> mm-hmm. see how long I could cross my eyes or like see if I can make one eye go this way one eye go this way and I would just be like for like an hour and just like trying to make faces and stuff like that I, I recall seeing one of the comments about walking around and running around in circles until you get dizzy and fall mm. down I would do that shit all oh, the I hate time being dizzy. Yeah, me too. I yeah. oh I hate it now as an adult when I was mm-hmm. a kid it was fun yeah. I feel like but as an adult like especially like the first time you get like really drunk and you get the bed spins mm-hmm. oof, Ooh. I not a good feeling so I'm gonna I'm gonna say something and I don't know if we want to cut it out so I want to just like put this in here because okay. we might. Um, so I don't know if this is stimming, but I want to ask you because I used to do this thing whenever I was a kid all the time. Like every time I would drink water, I would take a drink and then see how long I could let the the water like drip down my throat before I had to swallow. And I don't know if that's like a weird. Was it like were you entertaining yourself or yes. were you comforting yourself? That if you were entertaining, no, no, you I stimming. wasn't entertaining myself. There was something about like the feeling of mm-hmm. doing that that would like. 
Yeah, no, I think that might be. Okay. Like, do you know what I mean? When you, mm-hmm. like, quit, like, you're, like, you're really thirsty and you take a drink of water. Mm-hmm. I would, like, kind of do that, but I would get, to, it would, like, be, like, anticipation, too. Well, I was like, thinking relief. that, like, when I was a kid, I had, like, yeah, like, a tick where for a while, every time after I took a drink, I would go, ah. <laughs> and my parents were so pissed. Oh, like, I oh, it made them insane. Oh, yeah. But, like, really, like, I felt like it, it was comforting to do it. Mm-hmm. I don't know. So What's it's the like difference? similar. Like, yeah. I mean. I mean, stimming is still stimulation. Yeah, it's supposed to be yeah. help you feel better, right? Sure. I'll tell you, Ollie was doing some stimming earlier. Oh, my God. I uh, <laughs> was laying on the couch and had, like, one foot hanging off, and he just got right under there and just starts rubbing his yeah, butt he back does and rock. forth. Under yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, he's a rocker. I definitely, like, move my toes around a lot, mm-hmm. and I bounce my leg. Um, I, Yeah. A lot of people talked about um, social challenges, difficulties making friends. Um, How can parents and educators help neurodivergent children navigate social interactions and build meaningful connections with people when they're young like that? I think something that's helpful is recognizing that with with every kid, but maybe even more so with a neurodivergent kid, that learning social interactions is a learned skill like mm-hmm. and so if you can do your best to not shame or like embarrass when yeah. uh, a kid is makes a mistake or says something impolite and just kind of address it mm-hmm. um and and do address it because like you should know that there are certain times you can't say certain things you know like, but, like if, gently yeah if you as the parent like are like are in a situation or or and like you um see your kid do something that you feel embarrassed by mm-hmm. or that you feel like um frustrated with it's like you if you are reacting to the emotion that you're feeling when you address your kid in that moment in front of other people mm-hmm. or even not in front of other people like your that is going to shape your child so like um, you have to really check your emotion out of it and like um, address it like as um, as like compassionately as possible, even if you're experiencing like an emotion about it. My or, dad, like, a charge. my dad always tells a story of when we were out at the river with his like his high school friend. They've been friends for years. His name is Bruce. Big dude. Mm-hmm. And apparently I was like maybe four or five and he takes his shirt off to go in the river and I just I'm like, hey, Bruce, you're fat. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, yeah. like, oh, I shouldn't have Yikes. said that. I mean, I if I had a dollar for every time I was told to think before I speak I when I was a kid, dude, mm-hmm. I would it's be like, way better off than I am like now. If, I feel like I think this all the time and I th- I've always thought these things even when I was a kid and like I would hear that people be like think before you speak and it's like mom if you have had to tell me to think before I speak 500 times in the last two days fucking maybe you should think before you say that because obviously it's not working it's not changing anything about my behavior so like well yeah well I mean (laughs) and and two something to consider is like if you always think before you speak, then you never speak. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's what some kids are also taught is like, just don't speak. Well, yeah, a lot. I mean, yeah. Because by the time you know what to say, that's safe to say, it's past the time or it's just not worth it. And all of it kind of neglects the fact that like you're four years old. Yeah. Uh, and like if the guy was fat, then, like, that's an observation. Like, yeah, you can be pulled aside and say, like, hey, you know, like... It's not a nice thing to say. You know, like, (laughs) because that's, yeah, it's confusing. I mean, 
I've had kids tell me that too. <laughs> I mean, me adult, too. You know, oh, yeah. so I got, I've I got, had, they got their revenge. <laughs> Sorry, I, one time I was like doing like a, like a career day thing when I worked at the hospital and uh, I sat down and this kid sitting next to me goes, is that coffee? And I was like, yeah. And then uh, they look at me and they were like, I was like, do you drink coffee? And they were like, no, I was just wondering because your breath stinks. Oh my And goodness. I was just like, oh fuck. Okay. Yikes. They were like, they were like seven. Oh, <laughs> yeah. I was just like, All right. And scene. <laughs> when I, you know, for me, when it comes to social interactions as a child, I really felt like the Ritalin, um, crippled that mm-hmm. for me uh you know i know i've t- we've talked about how it made me just kind of feel like a zombie like it made me very introverted to mm-hmm. where i didn't want to talk to anybody and uh had a lot of depression especially like in junior high high school um very you know i like i i don't look back on those years fondly for yeah. when i was on ritalin and it wasn't until about that middle of senior year that i stopped taking it uh, that I really felt like I was starting to come out of my shell and mm-hmm. I started to get along better with my peers in school. Mm-hmm. Started actually making friends and hanging out with people that I never would have thought I would have hung out with yeah. uh, growing up. In terms of like social interactions for me, like I, I never, I have never struggled to make friends. I've never struggled to go into a room and um, be able to like interact with people and like feel all right. I have in the last three years because COVID has given me crippling anxiety, but when I was a kid and so the, the ways that like my neurodivergence showed out, showed up as a kid were like, I've got a couple stories. Um, so like the first one I thought about was, uh, one time me and my sister were going to go to like our neighbor's house and she lived like, I, I don't know, a few houses down. My, my memories are pretty fuzzy on this, but I, um, I was probably like four or five maybe. And I, the shirt that I had on, it was not, um, I couldn't wear it because it was cold outside. And mm-hmm. so I had to change and I didn't want to wear that shirt because it was scratchy. And so I had this windbreaker and I took the shirt off and I put the windbreaker on and zipped it all the way up to the very like top. Like, so it's like zipped up to touching my neck (laughs) (laughs) and it's like kind of big and I'm like, all right. And I run out the door and I don't have anything on underneath. And like, I just remember like sitting there just pouring sweat in this windbreaker (laughs) jacket and like everybody being like, why are you wearing that? And I'm like, I don't know, <laughs> just like things like that. And, and uh-huh. so that's a story. I, I also have another one where, um, so in like probably middle school, me and uh, a couple of my friends of mine and their parents took us to the mall. And uh, we're at the mall and we all go to the food court and we disperse to get our food. And I'm coming back and I just like sit down at this table and I'm sitting there munching down on my food. I'm talking and telling the story. I don't, I, it's probably five minutes go by. I look up and like this whole family is just sitting there looking at me like I'm an alien because they are not the people that I came oh with. God. And like I look over and the table over there is just like, oh my gosh, get over here. Uh, wow. Lots of things like getting in the wrong car and like just being talking. And like one time I turned around, like my mom, I thought my uh, mom was picking me up from track practice. I turn around, there's a baby in the backseat. I'm like, whose baby is that? Oh my God. I turn and look at the path to the driver's seat. And this person's like, what are you doing? I feel like, <laughs> I, I really feel like we need, you know, for a future episode, we just need to talk about like situational <laughs> awareness. <laughs> like that was me and has like, like people just... 
just me being like, just showing up. So do you want to hear a really embarrassing story that I've never yeah. told you? Um, I'm not I'm not ashamed to tell it. I, it was when I was a child. So uh, I don't remember this. This is just what my mother told me. But uh, apparently I had an issue changing my underwear when I was a kid. Not that I wouldn't put new underwear on, but that I wouldn't take the old underwear off and I would put the new underwear on over it so How long eventually would that go on? Like i mean i don't know <laughs> i mean i don't know um how long that lasted i mean it would just depend on how often my parents bathed me when i was a child because uh you know apparently it would last a couple days i don't know do, do kids not take baths every day i mean i i do every day i mean it's like depends on what you mean by define kids i mean like young Age. children. there's lots of things like to three consider. or four I don't know if I want to yeah. get into a conversation about bathing children. <laughs> but, you know, um, that was, yeah, that's, that, that's funny. It's an embarrassing story, but I don't mind telling it. I used to it. hide my socks. I, hide them? Yeah, Why? because I there was a certain kind of sock, like these socks that my mom would always buy. And like uh, the, the way that they felt was just like I could have just screamed the whole time. And so um, I would hide them and like drive my mom mad like she'd just be like where are they (laughs) (laughs) and i'm like no i'm not wearing those socks all right so when it comes to social interactions (laughs) you know we do need to hear from the expert because sarah has mentioned before um that when she was a child she memorized an etiquette book and i've been dying to understand or hear like where did you find this book how old was the book what drove you to uh do it like if you wanted to buy it do you know exactly like i don't know exactly because it's an emily post etiquette book it's very very long it's like a textbook um but i don't know if they have like different editions or i could ask my stepmom i'm sure she has it um, I would love to see that. And the the thing I w- I think memorize is a little strong, but like I read it, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but like I read a uh, I was probably like fourteen. I read a lot of textbooks at the time for some reason because we went to the library a lot. You know, for fun. <laughs> it was fun, and then um, like I I was always sort of like felt awkward and bewildered about social cues. Like I felt like people kind of knew stuff I didn't, and I was like, well, this is like okay, it was a textbook on how to act. And, like, some of the things <clears throat> would never pertain to me, like, which fork you use, like, five forks out mm-hmm. and things like that. But a lot of the stuff was helpful because it gave me just at least a framework to be like, okay, this is, like, what's normally expected. And I can, like, work from there. Do you think that... Like, um, tipping and, like, invitations and, like... Do you still, like, incorporate some of the things you learned from that etiquette book to this so. day? I think so. I mean, I don't rem- – there's nothing where I'm, like, I remember specifically from there strongly, mm-hmm. but I definitely incorporate that. It's funny that. that you say that because I don't know if you know that you do this. Okay. What do I do? But I've known you a long time. Mm-hmm. And, like, I don't know how long I've known that about you, but mm-hmm. it seems like it's been a long time, right? Yeah. I don't know. Anyway, um, and you will randomly say at random times mm-hmm. something that is from that book. I'm sure it's like stored away in there somewhere, like, right? Like I pull we'll be, out when I need we'll it. be somewhere or we'll uh-huh. be doing something or like I'll read you a Reddit post or whatever and you'll be like, actually. <laughs> <laughs> actually, um, um, Emily Post, post, post uh, um, circa 1994. Yeah, uh, like, like you sp- – and then I'm just like, oh, okay. But I mean, the, the thing, <laughs> here's the thing. In the introduction to the book, and what I learned is the point of etiquette, is the the foundation of etiquette is learning 
how to make other people feel comfortable. If there is a set of rules going back a long time and like, then everyone knows what to expect and everyone can feel comfortable. And so I love that concept. And like now etiquette can be perverted into making people feel uncomfortable and ashamed. But like if everyone kind of has a basic framework and you can like not... Sorry. Go ahead. Let me ask you a question. Yes. Let me ask you something. (laughs) Sorry. What if we, me and you, like wrote an etiquette book? Mm -hmm. Okay. And so like from that framework, Mm -hmm. me and you, uh, like use the Emily Post kind of like outline and wrote our own. I have a title. Okay. Yes. Go fuck yourself. (laughs) <laughs> go fuck yourself titty out wow. <laughs> uh, we're not gonna etiquette market this with, to neurodivergent be children etiquette with boundaries that's what it would be called etiquette with boundaries i like it edb do you think there would be a market for like maybe a book geared towards neurodivergent that's children that uh you know might help them with their social interactions because if so let's get on that so i mean i'm sure there are so many but like i I don't work with children, so I don't yeah. know any off the top of my head. But I'm sure. Sh- but yeah, there should there's be some, and I I have read them to like. I feel like everybody poops is a very neurodivergent book. Oh my gosh, <laughs> I watched. Okay, so Sarah and I watched Swiss Army Man. Swiss Army yes, Man. Yes, I've seen oh, it once. So have good. you really? Yeah, it's been a while. Oh but, my god! Yeah, where Daniel Radcliffe? I swear, Daniel Radcliffe's character is like an autistic so, person representation. I. I just loved it. Well, maybe we should get together and watch it again I literally and do watched, an episode on it. Sarah was taking a nap. I watched the whole thing, start to finish. Didn't pause it once. F- the f- the movie finished. I got up. I walked into the bedroom. Said asked, like Sarah got up, and I was like, "Do you want to watch this movie?" I just watched it, and we and then we watched it straight away. Straight away. Was that the first time you'd seen it? Yeah, I was in tears. It was like, so it was good. So it's it's performance written by the same so guys much. that did everywhere. Yeah, yeah it's the Daniels. I just cannot say how much. I only like... watched it once. Uh, I don't remember a whole lot about it. I remember the the farting mm-hmm. <laughs> and how riding the body I, on the. I the was water. like the kid in school who, like, literally, my desk was outside of the classroom. Like, I was just like not allowed, and like, like almost all. I feel like almost all of the feedback that I got from adults was like. Stop doing this weird thing. Stop, Stop being you. Being, yes. And it's like, so it's like I really watched that and was like, oh, fuck. Yeah. That's, that hits. So um, <laughs> a lot of people talked about um, specific obsessions and fixations. What were some things that <laughs> both of you maybe have been like fixated on or obsessed with when you were kids? So there was a period of time in middle school when I came home from school and no one was home and we had a record player and there was like five different musicals on the record player. Nice. And uh, so there was like, f- you know, five songs that I hyper fixated on, learned it, like mimicked it perfectly, mm-hmm. uh, got like um, them on VCR tape mm-hmm. and memorize then the movements and it was like every day over and over repeated but it was super comforting and I loved it yes I well sorry go ahead I, I remember getting like super obsessed with bands mm-hmm. um, you know the first band I was like overly obsessed with was mm-hmm. Primus who if you've ever heard them they're probably neurodivergent as fuck <laughs> <laughs> yeah um to the point where, like, my dad was like, 
I don't want to even hear you talk about them anymore. Oh, yeah. You know, like that was like the first band I was like super into. But in a way, you know, they I mean, they're not even one of my favorite bands anymore. I mean, I still I still like their music, but it's not something I really listen to a lot. Uh, But but that opened the door to a lot of other music that I ended up getting into. Uh, and it got me into playing music because I wanted to play bass like Les Claypool. So I started playing <laughs> bass at 14 and then realized how much I love to sing. And you can't really, I mean, you can, but you can't just like whip out a bass and sing a song. So I kind of transitioned, <laughs> transitioned into guitar and, and all of those kinds of things. Um, but like I was just obsessed with them. That's I remember awesome. when I found out that Les Claypool and I had the same birthday, oh, gosh. I ran into the room that my parents were at to tell them. And they're like, okay, cool. Why, <laughs> why are you so excited? Oh, sh- you know, and that was one of the things like, uh, you know, when I was married, I had a teenage stepdaughter. I bought her her first sound system. Like mm-hmm. she was listening to music on some like little Bluetooth Alexa speaker or whatever. Um, and I bought her her first like legit stereo with a subwoofer oh, and all that cool. shit. And I was just like, I can't wait till she starts getting like obsessed with music. But yeah. you know, it didn't happen while I was there, yeah. and maybe it will. But like, I just remember that being like such a such a special time. Yeah. Like, I would go buy a new CD or a cassette tape or something, and just kind of sit there and like I would listen to it from from start to finish and read along with the lyrics and, mm-hmm. and read all the liner notes and look at all the pictures and everything. And I think that's really, you know, I kind of lost that for a while mm-hmm. uh, with streaming. Yeah. And have kind of got back into that by collecting records. It's kind of yeah. taken me back to that place because it makes like listening to music much more like intentional. Like you yeah. have to, you have to pick it out and take it out and put it on and drop the needle on it and mm-hmm. turn it over halfway through. And, you know, you've got the big artwork and you've got the liner notes and all of those kinds mm-hmm. of things. But uh, that was like my big obsession. What about you, Katie? Um, so I've got a couple. So like, I remember being a kid and like really getting into baseball and I really wanted to play baseball. Um, where I lived, there was like only soft, like girls could only play softball, but I did not want to play softball. I wanted to play baseball. And so like my mom made a big fuss of it and like, um, went in and like said like, you're going to let my daughter be on this (laughs) team. Uh, so then I fucking sucked. I didn't. I I hated. I did not like it because I sucked. Um, I never hit the ball one time. Mm -hmm. Uh, It was. It was like um, I was not good. So that kind of ended my hyperfixation with baseball. Um, But there was a little while where I was like, I thought that I was going to be really good and it was going to be a great time. But anyway, I also like um, did kind of like the same thing that you did. I will not the same thing but like i would get really hyper fixated on music uh and like i i would like make dance moves and stuff with mm-hmm. my friends stuff like that choreograph stuff yeah um how can like how can interests uh and obsessions and fixations how can those be harnessed positively and utilized as strengths for neurodivergent children yeah, I mean, I say <clears throat> encourage them if it's something your kid loves mm-hmm. and they're super interested in Go for it. Yeah. If they change their mind later, okay. And if they don't, cool. Maybe they'll, like, do something amazing with that. Yeah, and, like, uh, let them nerd out on their special interests. And, like, um, if you're, like, worried about socialization or whatever, like, find a, them a friend to, like, parallel play with or whatever. Um, like, encourage it, though. Unless it's, like, harmful or there's, like, you know, you need to, like, have, like, intervene in some kind of way. It's, like... Um, As with anything, if anything is becoming, like 
too much or right. extreme. You have to like tether that, that right. like temper that. That's like your job. Right. And like if it's like um too much to like hear about it excessively, then like set some boundaries around like when you know you are available to like hear and like engage in it yeah it so, is like, okay to, to say yeah that. because if if it's like if you don't do that then you're going to become burnt out on listening mm-hmm. to the same thing over and over so if you can say like how about we go on a walk and like you tell me about this and mm-hmm. engage for 30 minutes and like truly engage and then mm-hmm. that's that's better than like walking around your house while they follow you around and tell you yes i feel it. like that would have been so about awesome every pokemon if if when i was a kid my mom or my dad was like so tell me about this band you like mm-hmm. for the next fifteen minutes. Oh man, <laughs> time's like, up. Shut me up. Me and my son for like for the first like probably, I don't know eight years of his life we would go on walks and we would like talk about weird shit like we would talk about like mad cow disease and we'd like be looking it up and like <laughs> like kind of nerding out on like weird things like that just while we walked around the block a few times. That's awesome. <laughs> um, so a lot of people talked about struggling with transitions and routines. Uh. Um, is that something that you feel like you may have struggled with as children? Yeah. That I mean, was my I think you struggle with some of those things now, transitions at least. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's like, I struggle with, um, like, uh, not knowing how long something is going to be lasting for. Right. Mm-hmm. So if it's like, uh, I'm put in a situation where it's like, say, uh, we are, stopping at the grocery like my mom stopping at the gas station Mm -hmm. it's like sometimes she would go in there and talk to the person like that was the attendant or whatever and be in there and it could be like she might be in there for 20 seconds she might be in there for 35 minutes and like it's just like (laughs) it's suspended Mm -hmm. time where it like feels like (laughs) so like i don't do well in spaces where it's like how long like how long is this gonna take or like you know i need like those kinds of transition periods are very difficult for me and I can feel like set the expectation massive fit in that space. (laughs) Yeah. When I was a a kid, I had a really hard time with the transition between classes because at the time I thought I was scared I would be late, but really it was like the, how crowded it was, Mm. the anxiety of being amongst everyone, being scared I would be late, being scared I couldn't get my locker, knowing I only had like eight minutes and like feeling like the pressure of that. And like, uh, it was in the anticipation of every transition was really hard for me. Um, So anyway, that was was rough. I don't really feel um, or nothing comes to mind when it comes to struggling with like transitions, routines, anything like that. I have always felt like I thrive with a routine. It's mm. when that routine gets disrupted mm. is when everything falls apart. And here's an example of actually something that I talked to my boss about uh, last week. Um, because, you know, my department that I manage is still fairly new. Uh, it's just a couple years old. And, some you know, we're still hammering out processes. Um, but it feels like in some instances... Uh, the higher ups, you know, get a wild hair or or a whim on a whim will will say, oh, we want you to start doing it this way, mm-hmm. you know, and that is not only disruptive for my routines, it's disruptive for my team mm-hmm. as well. So I actually uh, took it to my boss and uh, in our last meeting, and I was like, hey, instead of just you know ten minutes to five on a Thursday saying, Hey, I want you to start doing it this way. Can we meet once a quarter and we can review our process and then introduce changes there? Uh, we compromised it once a month, nice. but you know, I was comfortable enough to, you know, yeah. bring that to his attention. Um, 
would there be any strategies or techniques that you could recommend that might be effective helping certain children navigate these changes and establish routines that work for them? I think for me, like if I'm considering like what would have been helpful for me as a kid, it would have been like having, you know, uh, frames around those things so like i'm going to be in there for five minutes and then like kind of being consistent with that mm-hmm. uh or like um letting me this is going to be about 12 minutes you know whatever like so that i could have some kind of idea i think also like um did you wear a watch no um i think also like saying um you know when when like a kid is told like because i said so Mm, or yeah. like you know because i'm the parent like that's not help like that's i brought you into this world yeah. i could take you yeah, out yeah, exactly <laughs> i'll give you something to cry about oh. and i think a thing that can help with transitions is like being prepared for them like not yeah. being not scrambling like don't let it become like this urgent thing where everyone's stressed out right yeah but i would say for that to be effective for the child the parents got to really be get a have a good handle on that themselves yeah, sure exactly too which i would imagine like it if they you know, that would just struggle, compound yeah. the situation yeah. if, I know if both me, of them struggled sure. with it. i know for me like so um a sh- like something that has been a bit of a transition like a difficulty in transition is like um like my daughter like struggles with certain fabrics and things like that. Mm -hmm. So like what she wants to wear for the day before she goes to school is like, can be kind of like a bit of a process um, in the morning. And like, if she can't find something, it like can easily escalate into like, um, like we're both like sort of like having a moment and we're charged. And like, so I have her now like pick those things out the night before and like, like think about what the next day is going to be like. So it's not perfect. And like, there still will be days where it's like feels frantic, but it does help like alleviate some of that. It's not as bad. Right. Right. So, um, we may have to revisit this topic at some point because we haven't, I haven't even gotten through maybe, maybe a little over half the questions I have for you, but this is the last question I want to talk about because this is like the funnest part as far as being a child is concerned. But a lot of people talked about, and we'll go back and we'll read a few of the comments too. uh, But a lot of people talked about like unique play patterns and imaginative worlds. And that really brings me back to, so like I was a huge nerd and we watched Star Trek a lot as mm-hmm. a kid. And when my parents bought their first house, uh, it actually had a hot tub in the, on the back deck. And mm-hmm. it was like covered by this gazebo. And the hot tub was covered by like a cover. But like I had this... Um, cover for your cover. Yeah, the hot tub was covered by a cover. Mm-hmm. A hot tub cover. Um, so it was like this enclosed space on the back deck with this big thing in the middle mm-hmm. of it, right? And I used to put on, you're talking about your windbreaker, I used to put on this jacket and zip it up all the way. And mm-hmm. it had like a pattern on it that kind of reminded me of like the Starfleet uniform. Mm-hmm. And I would like pretend <laughs> that I was like down in engineering and the hot tub is like the warp core and mm-hmm. you know, like giving orders and stuff. Oh. What kind of like imaginative daydreaming like type stuff did you do uh, as a kid? Um, I was just thinking of actually <clears throat> my nephew one time, it was the sweetest thing. We were like sitting, uh, by the lake, uh, under the trees and he's like four and, uh, just smiling, looking up at the trees and I was like, Hey, what's going on? And he was like, Oh, you know, I'm just thinking about like being a monkey, playing with my <laughs> monkey friends yes. in the trees. Uh-huh. 
Sorry, Ollie. I just Ollie Ollie is Ollie's really Ollie frustrating. <laughs> Ollie, lay down, boy. Stop. Ollie, lay down. Um, well, I was ah. <laughs> Ollie's calls on a raucous. <laughs> I was thinking, Sarah, about the stage uh, from when you were a kid. <clears throat> the stage. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, the house that I lived in when I was a kid had a deck that was like the house was on a hill and then the deck was up high. And so when you stood on it, it seemed like the whole neighborhood could see you. And so me and my friends, or just me, <laughs> would put on concerts and like I would believe that like people were watching and like they were welcome. Did you practice practice or did you perform a lot of the songs from the musicals that you practiced? No, I did more popular things like um, Cyndi Lauper and Mm -hmm. things like that because, you know, it's for like mainstream. Oh, okay. Mainstream audience. Yeah. You got to know your audience. Yeah. Um, So I would, I I remember like uh, playing basketball in Mm -hmm. like my front yard. We had a, I, talked about the basketball before um but sometimes like if i was getting, i love watching women's basketball listen i <laughs> uh, i stand by that i know i think everybody should watch what i think more people should watch women's basketball than i won't go okay i'm not amen gonna go on that okay so anyway i would be out there playing but sometimes i would like and i lived in the middle of nowhere let me just let me just set the scene we live in a town with like 200,000 people. About an hour away from that is the town I lived in. And there was about maybe, I don't know, between 1,500 and 3,000 people. I lived 15 miles away from that down a gravel road. And the closest neighbor I had was my grandparents that were like a half mile away. Oh, wow. And so I would be out there playing basketball. And I would imagine, I'd be like playing. I'd be like, somebody's going to drive by and it's going to be like, they're going to see me playing. And they're going to be mm-hmm. like, oh, they're so like, th-, you know, and I would get in my head about it. And I would just like daydream about like you know being discovered just being just yeah i daydreamed about that a lot and i think that's probably like a lot of things but not neurodiver like that are neurodivergent related but also a lot of other things but i would um i could just daydream for days like i just remember i could like sit and just think and like mm-hmm. be like I don't feel like I do that much anymore. Maybe like when I'm laying in bed right before I fall asleep, but I feel like maybe maybe I should intentionally try and daydream more. I During, feel like phones take the place of that a lot. They do. They do yeah. a lot. During the summer, uh, so there was these people that lived probably like two miles from us, and we would either be walking or like exploring and or riding our bikes or whatever, and they had an indoor pool. And like this is – this is pretty neurodivergent. During the summer, I would show up and knock on those people's door. I don't know how many times I did it, but at, and ask if I could swim in their pool. Uh-huh. And like, no, they wouldn't. Like, never ever did they say yes. And I still did it. Like, <laughs> did you ever get to swim in the pool? No, never. Oh my gosh. No. Uh, speaking of going up to friends' house, so they didn't I, even have kids. <laughs> I grew up in a trailer park, um, and there were a lot of kids my age that lived there in the trailer park, and I would go up to some trailers, uh, you know, to play with a friend or whatever, but I was always too afraid to knock on the door, so I would just stand outside and yell Yikes. for them to That's come out. <laughs> Their moms are like, oh my God, Eric's here. See, that's one thing I just feel like as a kid, I was always the one that was like, Katie, go do that. Like, so I, and I just would go, I just didn't even, I just be knocking on people's door. I did not, I was not like, 
yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'll tell you a thing the etiquette book helped me with is until I found that book, um, I so awkwardly would call my friend's moms, like <clears throat> I had a friend named Emily, and I called her mom Emily's mom to her face. I'd be like, Emily's mom, Emily's mom, because <laughs> I didn't know what to call her. The etiquette book told me what to call her. Oh, my God. What did it, what did it tell you? Miss so-and-so. Mrs. so-and-so. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. So did you start calling her that? I don't think I ever said her name again. I think I learned how to not say her name. I think I just learned how to do that. <laughs> All right. So I'm going to read just a few of the comments that we found. Again, there was like almost 1,500 comments. So mm-hmm. it was a lot. If you can find the post, go check it out. Um, but one of them said they got in trouble for counting their hair. Oh, my gosh. Oh, wow. Yeah, I can see that. Like that would just – oh, my gosh. Um mm-hmm. Tied myself to my chair with my sweater for no reason <laughs> whatsoever. For the pressure reason. Yes. <laughs> Trying to paint my whiteout pen white. Yeah. I remember, like, you you give me a bottle of whiteout when I'm a kid, and it's over. Yeah. It's over. Like, no. it's, it's going on everything. Drawing on walls instead of paper. I mean, that yeah. may be, I mean, depending on how young you are, that may just be a regular kid kind of thing. Um Damn I'm, kids. I'm sure a lot of kids uh, draw on walls. Uh, running into things all the time, like a real-life bumper car. Oh, my gosh. Oh, so, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Taking three hours to get ready by doing my hair and makeup in my room alone. Uh, yeah, I did like to do that. Playing in my own little world because nobody followed the goddamn script. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. That's um, fucking hilarious. <laughs> spitting out food reflexively. Couldn't even help myself. Oh. Like that's, I don't know. I don't know about y'all, but that's one of those things like watching people spit their food out, especially if they're not like doing it covertly, like into a napkin or something, just grosses me the yeah. fuck out. Oh, well, yeah. I mean, I think now we can just say, I'm not going to eat that. But like as yeah. a kid, we don't sometimes have a choice. Yeah. Daydreaming machine, often completely unaware of my surroundings. That's you, Katie. Did you write that? <laughs> no. <laughs> Walking on tiptoes everywhere like I was auditioning for a ballet. Yep. Lining up aisles of stores and sorting all the items. <laughs> Following my aunt around when she was in a certain dress, running the fabric between the fingers and sucking my thumb. Oh, yeah. Aww. Oh my gosh, one time, you know how you're talking about, like... Somebody has a memory that, like, that seems like a... I can't think back that far. <laughs> you know, you were talking about, like, joining the wrong table or getting into the wrong <laughs> car. Like, have either of you ever lost your mom in the grocery store and or end up following someone else that you thought was your mom in the store and... I am... You have that freak out moment. I still am... I still very much very often find myself in store talking to somebody that i think is sarah oh my goodness (laughs) (laughs) like that happens on the regular basis yeah (laughs) refusing to wear wool because it's too scratchy you know we talked about those kinds Mm -hmm. of things people wear wool eat this is this is interesting eating fruit loops in roy g biv order (laughs) i love it i can relate um uh, let's see, uh, hiding in the closet for peace and quiet. I used to do that. Mm-hmm. I had a really big closet in the house that we moved into when I was like five or six. Mm-hmm. And I used to go in there and just like hang out in the dark. Oh, it yeah. was like my own little cubby hole. For some reason, there was something like very soothing to me being in a small enclosed space. So oh, at least too. I'm not claustrophobic, right? Yeah, I had like a bookshelf uh, that my mom kept cleared off i guess and there's pictures of me but i would like just sit in this bookshelf like all tucked in my brother had a laundry basket he liked to lay under just clapping my hands at times of high happiness and rocking back and forth constantly due to stress Mm -hmm. 
That would be that stimming behavior, correct? Mm -hmm. Uh, Being moody and miserable because I was forced into social situations that were too much for me. Mm -hmm. See, pulled the soft, gleaming, nylon, blonde hair out of my dolly's head and rubbed it on my face. (laughs) I used to do that a lot. I used to be very destructive uh, Mm -hmm. with a lot of my toys. I remember, like, I had a lamp in my room, and I would put, like, action figures on the bulb so they would start to melt. Dangerous. I know. It was dangerous. Fuck yeah. Another thing, like, I think this was a little bit when I got older, I would take, like, old electronics that, like, my dad would throw away or, like, an old radio that we didn't use anymore, and I would take it apart. I would take the circuit boards Mm. out, Mm -hmm. and I would, like, put them on, like pieces of clothing because I wanted to be like a cyborg or whatever. I love it. Yes. (laughs) Uh, Going through aisles of stores and lining up sort of put that comment twice. Uh, Making funny noises or weird faces just for the hell of it. Oh my god. We (laughs) talked about that. Yes, my people. (laughs) I mean, a lot of those things you know, we, we can relate to a lot of those. I mean, and then some of the other comments were, were a lot of like, you know, collecting rocks, yeah. which I mean, that's you still do Sarah too. rocks and sticks <laughs> Sarah collects and all of those kinds of yep. things. Um, anything else you want to talk about as far as like neurodivergent traits and children before we wrap it up? Well, uh, I don't think so. I think we covered a lot. Yeah. Always digging a hole in the I'll carpet. Um, what are you here for? Oh my gosh. I am here for the fucking reddit post that i sent you last night oh yes i (laughs) i literally i probably read it five times all of it Mm -hmm. i start to finish i think it is the best what's the tldr yeah you you got to talk about the first post first and then Um, the the follow-up here let me pull it up hang on because it really i if i would if you guys let me i would read the whole thing i found it so here we go here we go here we go this post was made uh, four years ago on relationship advice. Um, I'm going to read the first one and then I'll read the update, okay? Because I want people to just get get the full scope. Okay, the, the title is, My Girlfriend is Acting Obsessed with This Random Family She Just Met. Okay, I figured I should ask for advice because this situation is really weird and I have no idea how to handle it. My girlfriend Maggie and I have been together for just three months, so our relationship is very new. Things have been going well aside from this problem. A few weeks ago, Maggie started a new job and quickly became friends with her new coworker, Joe. For the record, I have no problem with Maggie having the friend, having male friends. I have female friends, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But Maggie and Joe seemed unusually close after a very short amount of time. Like, Maggie was telling me that she was scoping out her coworkers to see who was all business and who she could just joke around with and maybe become better friends with. She said it would be pretty easy, though, because Joe was telling her who was cool. But Maggie barely knows Joe, so why does she trust him so much? Maggie and Joe were hanging out so much outside of work that I actually did feel a little weird about it. I then found out that aside from work, they usually hang out with Joe's wife and kids, which made cheating unlikely, but was still really weird. Most people don't have near strangers hanging out with their little kids that much. Maggie has been putting this family above other friends, like when she wanted to, like when she waited on RSVPing to a friend's party until she could nail down other plans with Joe and his family. The plans with Joe's family were very vague and hadn't been decided yet, but Maggie was willing to miss her friend's party if it was the only time Joe's family was available. 
I met them for the first time and it was very bizarre. Maggie isn't a big fan of kids, but she was all over Joe's kids. She got down on the floor and crawled around with the baby. The older kid was very shy and didn't seem that comfortable with me, but she got very excited when she saw Maggie and climbed onto Maggie's lap. So Maggie was very obviously, so Maggie has obviously spent a lot of time with the family in the past few weeks. The older kid calls Maggie auntie. Maggie once told me she didn't like babysitting and always tries to get out of it, but apparently she has babysat for them, and she refuses to take money for babysitting. This is just so out of character for her. They also made some weird jokes about Maggie coming to live in their basement, which was really weird in combination with everything else that's going on. Hopefully that was just a joke. For Thanksgiving, we decided to just celebrate with our own families because we haven't been together that long. Joe and his family weren't available to travel to meet their own family, so Maggie invited them to her parents' house. That's very kind, but it was a couple hours away and they all slept over, so it wasn't a casual trip. Some pictures were taken, including a posed one of Maggie and Joe's family with the older kid hugging Maggie's shoulders. Maggie made a comment about how she was glad her chosen family could come to Thanksgiving. It is beyond bizarre. She barely knows these people. She has been in, an, in the new job for just under two months and somehow became absorbed into this ran, random family. And this is so out of character. She told me once that she hates it when people she doesn't know well insist on hugging her or how cheaply some people say I love you. But she's taking this, she's taking this up to 11. She's fretting right now because the oldest kid's birthday is coming and Maggie apparently needs to get that kid a birthday and a Christmas gift and a Christmas gift for the baby too. The only gift I've ever gotten a coworker's kid is when they had a baby shower at work. I don't even know how to bring this up. I know her friendships aren't really my business, but this is so strange. It's making me uncomfortable, so I feel like I have to say something, but I don't even know what to say. Maggie cheating on me with Joe would actually make more sense than this. Any <laughs> advice? This isn't normal, right? Okay. <laughs> I just love it so much. I mean, we already know the outcome, yes. but like, uh, I mean, on the surface, that does seem very odd it sure does you know but i kind of wish like i could just meet a family and just get adopted <laughs> into their family and everybody oh loved me god. and wanted to <laughs> go on trips with me and oh my god seems nice actually. okay so here's the update okay as a quick summary i thought something weird was going on with my girlfriend maggie who became quickly and extremely close to her new co-worker joe and his wife kate after just a couple weeks, she was trusting Joe with everything work-related, babysitting their children for free and buying them gifts, having the kids call her auntie, putting his family above other friends, inviting family to th Maggie's Thanksgiving, and referring to them as her chosen family. I thought that either this whole thing was some kind of cover for an affair or Maggie had attachment issues. I figured out what was going on and I feel like a huge idiot. I went to see Maggie to ask for an explanation and figured if I didn't like what I heard, I'd break up with her because either she was cheating or had an emotional issue I couldn't handle. I had the opportunity when I saw the gifts Maggie had gotten for Joe and Kate's kids. It seemed so strange for someone who doesn't really like kids that much to go so overboard for kids she just met. I asked Maggie why she gave the kids such special treatment, even though she doesn't really like the kids that much. Maggie explained that she felt differently about these kids because she had been around them to watch them grow and was close to Joe and Kate, so the kids are more like her family to her, which means she treats them differently than other kids, and they're probably, and they're the exception to the rule. Maggie said she'd probably tone it down eventually, but since they were so young, she wanted to get them something really nice for Christmas. I wasn't really sure what to say next because it seemed so irrational. 
But then Maggie said that she used to exchange Christmas gifts with Joe and Kate too, but that they all decided it was too much trouble and unnecessary. So these days, they she usually just bakes them something or gets them a nice bottle of wine. I realized I was missing something important. <laughs> you think? <laughs> this, this is me. Okay, I can I can totally relate to this. I realized I was missing something important. If Maggie had other Christmases with Joe's family, she couldn't have just met them like I thought. I had I had thought that Maggie might just have emotional issues that made her attach herself to people she barely knew, but I didn't think Maggie was actually crazy enough to imagine that she knew them before. I didn't want to ask, so I acted normally until I left. When I got home, I went through Maggie's Facebook. She wasn't lying and she's not crazy. I found a ton of photos with Joe and Kate going back a decade. From what I can figure out, they all went to college together. <laughs> Joe and Maggie were big brother and little sister in a co-ed frat sorority, and Maggie and Kate were roommates. I also found pictures of Maggie as a bridesmaid in Joe and Kate's wedding, and pictures of Maggie holding their newborn children, so they're obviously close friends who have known each other for a long time. All of Maggie's behavior makes perfect sense now that I know this. I think the whole thing is my fault. <laughs> I have I have ADHD and I don't handle it that well. I've had issues when people are talking to me for a while where I start zoning them out. I have been called out for this before. I think it's pretty likely that Maggie did tell me about Joe and Kate and I just wasn't listening. Maggie hasn't actually done anything wrong or creepy, so I think it's more likely that I wasn't listening when Maggie explained instead of this being a trick. Then they say, this was a pretty big wake-up call for me. I've been ignoring my problem because I didn't want to face facts, and it was serious, but I know I need to do something before I make any more mistakes. I'm going to start looking for a therapist. Wow. Like, that... Like (laughs) The first comment says, imagine an alternate universe where you just went, so how long have you guys known each other? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, that is pretty wild. Like, uh, especially, like, jumping to that conclusion without it. But my big question is, as I was reading that first part, um, is this this guy's first relationship? (laughs) I don't know. Like... We know. didn't spend the holidays together because we only been together for three here's months. Here's what no, I want to no say. Shit. Here's what I will say, okay, that maybe we'll give insight. Maybe it's just me going on a tangent. So, like, I do know that, like, if you are somebody who has ADHD and you zone out like that mm-hmm. and, like, you maybe – or, like, you get a big block of text and maybe you didn't read it. If um, – when you ask questions to somebody who has already told you that um, but you didn't remember, you weren't listening uh, – it's really negatively reinforced by them being like, I already told you that. Or like, how mm-hmm. come you don't remember that? So like, if, if that is something that's negatively reinforced, then like you are more prone to not ask questions because like in the past, like that's been embarrassing, embarrassing for you. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I mean, that happens to me all the time. I know. Um, I know and, it does. <laughs> and I'm sure it happens to you too. Uh, but uh, yeah, where like people will tell me things or swear they tell me things and I'm like, I don't remember. I, I, you know. I feel like I use a lot of my, um, like a lot of my brain space for that is used in my profession where I'm like having to store information and pay really close attention to what people are saying and like track very closely with what's going on. And so like outside of that space, it's like very limited. Yeah. So what are you here for, Sarah? (laughs) Um, I'm here for, if you, have you ever seen a leaf sheep sea slug? No. Oh, Google them. They're the cutest things ever. Oh, I'm also here because if I can say Sarah submitted, like 
like your trees for oh. the art show. Oh yeah, I did. I'm here for that. Yeah, because I cannot destroy them anymore. Um, so it starts uh, July fifteenth, July fifteenth through the end of July. We should. Did Kansas you do you have pictures? Yeah. Festival. Do you have pictures of those we can post? Probably, yeah. Okay, because we keep talking about them, but okay. Kansas, they're made out of metal and beads, beads <laughs> and beads. rocks, bees, um, beads. So, like, <laughs> this is gonna sound nerdy as fuck. Okay, you. I'm here for Jay Uso standing up to Roman Reigns on SmackDown Friday night. Oh, give me some background because I have no idea. <laughs> so they've been running this storyline in the WWE okay uh where like the uh there, so there's a there's a a very famous family the Anawaii family that have had you know generations of their family have been professional wrestlers right the wild samoans yokozuna rikishi the rock right ah. like i mean they're all related Like the royal family. Yeah. And so like four of them right now are all in the WWE at the same time. And one of them is the champion and he's like running and they call it the bloodline and he's the tribal chief. And it's pretty lame. Like I don't like Roman Reigns, but the tag team, the Usos, Jay and Jimmy Uso, they're twin brothers, like in real life, they're twin brothers. They're the sons of Rikishi. Um, Like they are feuding, but they used to be part of this faction, right? I just started watching it again, probably within the last year. So I didn't know what was going on, but I watched a YouTube video of it, of kind of like the whole story. And like Roman Reigns straight up emotionally abuses Jay Uso during this whole thing. And then finally on Friday, he stood up for himself and like kicked everyone's ass. Yay, return of the underdog. <laughs> you know, but I was like, man, this is like a really feel-good story. I love the way, the direction that they're going with that. I yeah. know. I mean, I try not to talk about this kind of stuff too much on the podcast, but it's fun, and that's what I'm here for, because it was the most <laughs> exciting thing that happened to me all week. Yes. Um, but anyway, uh, that's going to do it. We actually had a, a little bit of a long one. We might revisit this topic, because uh, there was a lot of questions we didn't have time yeah. for. Um, but, uh, you know, if you guys want to tell us what you did as neurodivergent children and things like that, uh, go ahead, email us at neurodetergent.pod at gmail.com. You can shoot us a message or, uh, you know, throw a comment our way. Um, but, uh, we really appreciate everyone listening and we will see you next week. <laughs>